Welcome, bienvenue to the Fantasy Tools Podcast. This is a show where fantasy tools discuss fantasy tools. I'm your host, Eric Rentz, and I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Peterson. Our mission is to discuss fantasy baseball and the tools that we are developing that help us manage our teams. Cue that intro music. So, Mike, have you ever noticed that Bill Belichick kind of acts like a Sith? Now, apparently, he even looks like a, a Sith. What do you think <laughs> of this article that I sent you? I think that if we had, had seen you know him doing it and we side-by-sided it with the Emperor first putting up his hood in Episode 3, we would be in business. So, the Boston Globe put out an article about how Bill Belichick, uh, he was wearing a, a rain jacket in a in a press conference, and he, and that started a uh, a lot of Sith Lord memes, <laughs> and and he does he looks just like the Emperor. Are are we supposed to feel bad for him in this case? I think that he probably sees it as a positive. Yeah, I think he probably sees that <laughs> as part of his mystique. I mean, they destroyed the Jedi. <laughs> so wait who would be the jedi in this scenario i think jedi and jets share a couple of letters Ooh, the the jet i i okay all right but i mean but the jedi actually put a have to put up a fight <laughs> oh shots fired i think i mean it would be more like it'd be more like the giants right the giants would be in terms of storylines would be a more natural thing you know it's sort of unexpected the the dark side clearly has more power but then you know 2007 comes around and you guys take them down i you know i like that i like that one but i don't like it if bill belichick beats the uh, giants in the super bowl <laughs> yeah it's we're just going to put on some duel of the fates next time that this this happens maybe that'll be the fantasy tune of the week so we just had our trade deadline here. Uh, we made a bit of a doozy. Would you call that a bit of a doozy? Well, I mean, it was. I think he was the best player that moved, Kenley Jansen. Oh, I agree. I mean, you know, it's funny because it's funny because if you listen to, at least when I've been listening to other podcasts and they go through like closer rankings, they just skip over number one. They're just like, all right, Kenley Jansen. Now, who should we discuss at number two? <laughs> well, there was there's a great tweet that I saw that was. Uh, that had highlighted Kenley Jansen's stat line. It said, uh, Kenley Jansen's stat line, NSFW. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he is, a, he is a great player, and the only underproduction that he's had this year is uh, a lack of save opportunities. And, I mean, we, I think, already made a, made a, a bet on the number of saves he was going to have. That we did. It's uh, it's already coming up aces for you. I'm not gonna say that I reverse jinxed him, but well, he got a win for me too. That uh, that also meant a lot. Oh my gosh, oh my! He got gosh. a win over the weekend, but but I think you know this is part of a larger conversation where I'm I'm looking around at the rest of the league, the other the other buyers here, and uh, you know I'm I'm not accustomed to being a buyer. This is not a place that I normally find myself. I'm a little terrified at at what the target stats that you should be shooting for as a competitive team after the trade deadline are. 
I know there's really there are really three strata right now of, of, <laughs> of stats in our league, and I think that you see this in, in a lot of f- fantasy leagues around the trade deadline when people get serious. It's rough. There's no there's no room for error. No, <laughs> thank you. And uh, I I don't know. My team's got my team's got a few errors on it, so we'll we'll see what happens. I guess. Yeah, you're gonna have to. Yeah, you're gonna have to hit a couple of waiver wire guys, I think, to get you over the hump on the hitting side. But your pitching, your pitching looks pretty good. Pitching should be solid, assuming this uh, Dallas Keuchel neck thing is not is not something. Two times on yeah. the DL in a month is, you know, I I don't like that. We're starting to get somewhere that's that's nerve wracking. I thought they were just giving him an extra night's good night's sleep last time, but <laughs> yeah, but uh, I guess not. Well, we'll. We'll see if he gets back on track. I mean, it's already you. You're already um, playing with house money with Dallas. Oh, I know. I know absolutely. So this week, uh, you may have noticed that we are doing things a little bit ad hoc. Eric's on the road, but he has still put together an interesting uh, tale, maybe for us. Even if even if we're a little a uh, little lost on it right now, uh, and then I'm going to talk about a model that I've been trying to put together, trying to predict how many home runs a pitcher will let up. So take it away, Eric. All right, well, I feel a little like South Park. They notoriously have a tight deadline and play with fire every week. And this week, I couldn't quite make the final cut. I was working with ownership data, which is a topic that we covered last year in podcast 0.18, I believe. And uh, we've covered this year as, uh, as well a little bit. And I wanted to get back into the ownership data because I think that um, going back to the masses to get to inform our decisions is going to be uh, really good in the long term. But I wanted to try to do a little bit with a gut checking and that's where things came off the rail. <laughs> let, let me stop you there quick. Do you, when you're looking to pick up guys on the waiver wire, I almost always first check the ownership data just to make sure that I'm not missing anybody just that's totally hitting me over the head. I um that used to be what I did uh really early on in in this league I would look every single week at the most added the most dropped guys mm-hmm. and I would inform some of my ad drops from that but it seemed like the whole league then was was going <laughs> was going for that. So then I was using that to inform how much I put into Fab. Yeah. On my draft picks, on my um, on my ad drops, and then now at this point, I really kind of I have a better sense for which guys other players in our league know about, <laughs> just based on the the word of mouth that I'm hearing in the different podcasts I listen to in the. Uh, the different baseball websites. So yeah, I mean, there, so there's some players, like in years past, that I wouldn't have known were the the, the buzz guys, and now I know are the buzz guys. Right. I mean, I I think, but even even more than the buzz guys, I like to look at the the most owned list. Like I just pulled it up right now in our league, <laughs> as you well know, Dustin Pedroia is on the waiver wire right now. Um, but he, yes, I, I do. Well know <laughs> but he he's got 86 percent ownership across CBS leagues. So you know that. That might be if you were even in the market for a second baseman, like say that say that you were only running one second baseman and he went down, you know, this to me would be a good spot to start. 
Yeah, exactly. It is a good place to start, and I would suggest that all of our listen listeners take a look at ownership ownership data to inform their ad drops. Now, the thing about ownership data is that there there are also the players like Dustin Pedroia, who um, a week ago I had Dustin Pedroia on my team, and he wasn't producing, and he was on the DL, and I had a pinch in terms of the number of players that I had on the DL, so he ended up being Gonzo. Uh, some players, and he really was owned more based on his name mm. than based on his production, mm-hmm. and that was what I was really hoping to suss out a little bit with the with my little ownership look. So I wanted to build an ownership model, take a look at um, ownership across players. It creates a really interesting um, curve when you download the data from Fantasy Pros, which aggregates across the different across the different uh, fantasy websites. It it creates a, a curve that I guess Mike is telling me is an error function curve. I always want to call it a Poisson curve, even though that's wrong. You know what the ownership model looks like, basically, right, Mike? It kind of yeah. platoons and then yeah. drops, goes out to infinity. Now, I wanted to use that model and then relate it to some sort of valuation. And I had this idea that I was going to use FOWAR, which we used last year, and that's that's probably where things went wrong because I spent <laughs> a lot of time trying to clean up the FUBOR model to have it usable in this scenario. And uh, Mike, we still have some we still have some work on FUBOR. Yeah, I I agree. So maybe our future weeks are going to be minor league baseball players and FUBOR. Mm, yeah. Well, I guess we've decided what next week is going to be. <laughs> so then uh, then what I did was I I backtracked and went to the fantasy rankings the current fantasy rankings and then that of course adds a bunch of of error as well we're dealing with even still at this point in the season we're still dealing with some small samples there's some players that have um basically put together three weeks of good stats and then they are at the top of the class i mean just scooter Jeanette comes to mind as having (laughs) an amazing day and becoming fantasy relevant and the um, in the fantasy ranking, even though he's not, I said fantasy relevant, not like, you should never, don't add Scooter Jeanette. <laughs> well, Ed, Edinson Volk has finally got picked up in our league. <laughs> right, exactly, there you go again. Though, he's always owned on two <laughs> weeks, I feel like. <laughs> but the thing, so with that small sample size and looking at the ownership model, what I was really trying to do is compare the two to try to highlight which players along um, which players actually didn't deserve to be owned as much as they were based on their statistics. And that's where things started to have a, some real pushback because I was trying to really create a binary system of you deserve to be owned this much, you don't deserve to be owned this much. Mm. And really you have to create a window around the current fantasy ranking of like an acceptable window and Hmm. um that ended up being so much that it it really wasn't highlighting any players of note except for dl players (laughs) it's always dl players (laughs) well yeah dl players are so interesting but i mean the economics of dl players is also very interesting because if you have spots if you have space to stash them it can make a lot of sense 
yeah, always don't underestimate the DL players because they can come back and win you a league, especially if other players have to drop them. We, yeah, we've talked about this before, but I think that, you know, I try to never leave a DL spot empty. So even if I have an open one, I try to pick somebody up to put into it. Yeah, and I would suggest that as well. I, I of course, have not had that problem yet this year, but <laughs> I don't think you have either. No, I've had my DL spots filled the entire year. And this year, right now, I've got a, I mean, geez, I've got a pretty decent DL. Fortunately, I just had to drop. Did you notice that I dropped? Um, my buddy Trevor Cahill. I did. His, uh, his DL stint got pushed back and pushed back and pushed back, and I do not like that. Nope. I always think that that's a sign of something bad is happening, especially if they're like, you're just going to be on the DL for 15 days, and then 20 days goes by, and then the player's in a walking boot, and his name is Adrian Beltre. Oh, come on. Oh, wait, on. that's your problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, I don't know. I think my general thought is that the, the first time that a timetable gets pushed back, that they got to get dropped. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good rule of thumb. All right, well, I, I mean, I might as well give the lesson learned here. Um, this was way too complicated, especially on a week that I knew I was going to be traveling. <laughs> Um, it seemed like it was so close, you know, the 80-20 rule, but it wasn't. It just it just w- wasn't there to actually, like, inform anything. So, I guess next week, maybe, hopefully, I um, keep it simple, and, uh, and we need to do, we, I need to do a better job of that first model always being, that first piece of analysis always being kind of the sniff test before I, <laughs> I go a little bit deeper. Do you find that? Oh yeah, I find that all the time. Haven't you noticed that all of my all of my labels start with like <laughs> stat stabilization part one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah. You're really setting yourself up for yeah the next next couple of waves of analysis. Yeah, that's right. I don't I don't like to overly tax myself, but yeah, it, it'll be nice to delve back into Fawar. You know, we we learned a lot from that last year. Um, I think in general now, as we go back through everything, I'm finding a lot of things that I've learned about. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in my segment, but things that I didn't appreciate at the time. Well, good. Uh, yeah, well, we'll definitely get back into this soon. In the second half, I'm going to mention just a couple of mathematical methods. Don't run away. But in the meantime, here's some early high school thoughts that we both had about math methods. I remember being so disappointed when in, I don't know, what, like ninth grade, <laughs> matrices, it's like, oh my god, that's going to be awesome, and then it's like, yep. what? That was, what? That was the perfect time, like, in the middle of the Matrix trilogy coming out, like, we're going to learn about matrices, like, no, never mind. And then both disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My teacher didn't say vis-a-vis once. Ooh, mine did. Yeah. Oh! <laughs> so, it's bad when pitchers let up home runs. Amen. <laughs> so I was thinking about that and, and meditating on that just simple concept and trying to figure out, well, what can we actually do with that? Because I'm a big fan of looking for the simplest number and then add, to try and indicate something. So this study today, I'm calling it the expected home run model. I'm trying to do a follow-up to some previous work that we've done this year, uh, which is when we looked at where home runs fell in as a function of launch speed and um, launch angle. 
And this is something that I like to think that we developed sort of independently of all the other uh, StatCast heads out there. But we found the same result, so that's kind of heartening. Yeah. So now we're going to try and make it a little bit more complex and add a distance consideration. Am I going crazy here? Is this too much? Mm, well, now that Aaron Judge just hit that monster of a home run, I, I see why distance is sexy. That's exactly why distance popped into my head. I think that's what is interesting here is that you're talking about this in a bit of the opposite direction, whereas some of the stat casters are really slapping people on the uh, batters on the back. You also want to look at this in terms of the what pitchers, what this means for pitchers. That's exactly right, and that's part of what what I wanted to come to today, which is try and figure out the sort of batted balls that pitchers induce, whether they're getting a little bit lucky on their home run totals or whether there's some skill there or what just what we can learn from this. Because, you know, we talk all the time about certain pitchers being ground ball pitchers or fly ball pitchers. Mm -hmm. And I want to know for those guys, and, you know, we sort of colloquially talk about, well, he's more at risk for home runs. And I want to actually put some numbers on that and figure out, whether there are guys that we should actually be worried about. And let me just say, I did this all because I just have to prove that James Paxton is not for real. Oh boy, here it comes. Here it comes again. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to try and convince you of that, but uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how that works out. Convince our listeners. <laughs> so I'm going to call this the expected home run model. In a nutshell, what it does is it computes the distribution of batted balls that are consistent with home runs. So I look at the entire league, and I say, again, this is what we did before. I say, okay, well, how many balls in each bin as a function of the hit velocity and launch angle, what fraction of those went for home runs? And then I look at the types of batted balls that a pitcher induced and count up the number of home runs that they had and the number of pitches that are consistent with being possible to be a home run okay and then i just compare those two quantities so it's actually much simpler than you think there's a little bit of math that goes into doing the integration but apart from that it's fairly simple makes makes sense to me hopefully it makes sense to our listeners <laughs> we'll try and we'll try and put up a couple images that ideally help to make this make sense what this means is that I just have a couple benchmark numbers here. In the league, the average is for every three balls that are consistent with being a home run, one of them leaves the park. So for instance, for every three balls that are hit at 100 miles an hour and with a 40 degree launch angle, one of those will be a home run. Right, because not every, not every ball that's hit perfectly ends up being a home run. You could be uh, field-specific conditions that being mm -hmm. the fence or that being the wind that day or that being a all-star gold glove center fielder stealing a home run that's exactly right and so all of those factors you know we're just going to try and marginalize over all of those for now we're not going to get too complex and we're going to see how well that works out so the goal then is to use these numbers this league average number to back out the expected number of home runs that a pitcher should have given up, given how their distribution of batted balls looks. All right, still with me on that? Yep. All right, so let's start with a couple guys that make sense. I'm going to argue that when I look at their distributions, they make sense. These are two pretty typical starting pitchers, one good, one very middle of the road. 
Robbie Ray, and Tanner Roark. I had to come back to Robbie Ray because, you know, we we did not exactly give him his due at the beginning of the season. Um, I think we can definitively say that he's an elite strikeout pitcher now, but what do we think about how he's actually performing in terms of ERA and whip and stuff? Well, I think that he's going to come back down to earth a little bit, <laughs> but this might be a bit like the Corey Kluber year, the Corey Kluber breakout year. No, I, I think that's possible. I will say that if you look at his distribution of velocity versus launch angle, he gives up a pretty good amount of hard contact. Yep. Oh, yeah, he does. He's only, you know, he's close. So the model predicts, based on the, the strength of contact that different guys have against him, the model predicts that he should have somewhere between 9 and 10 home runs that he's let up, and he's only let up 8. Now, that's not a huge difference, but those extra two to three earned runs or you know two to four yeah. earned runs that come from that that can that can really affect his era those solo shots even let's just say that there's another run with those yeah that could be and so that's the same for tanner roark tanner roark has given up nine home runs this year you'd expect him to have given up 11 so i think that for both of these guys you can expect a little bit of era regression just solely based on the fact that they're letting up a decent amount of hard contact tanner roark has a little mm-hmm. bit more ground ball but he's always been a definitive ground ball pitcher so if you start to see some of his pitches or some of his batted ball contact sneaking up into that higher launch angle higher velocity we might see some regression right this may be a good tool for identifying those players before they get that deluge of home runs well that's yeah that's that's kind of my goal right now so i mean i wouldn't be surprised you know if robbie ray or tanner roark's next outing if either of them gives up two home runs that wouldn't be strange i don't think right all right i told you i was gonna do it i warned you here's the overperformers category you're not you're not gonna like either of these all right first one james paxton now part of the reason that he had such a good start to the year is because he didn't let up a home run until his second to last outing. Mm. He'd had no home runs. And now the model's almost never going to predict zero. In this case, the model predicts somewhere between four and five home runs. And he's only given up two this year. That's a big difference. If you're talking about a factor of two in the number of home runs that you've let up. Yeah. There is something there, but I will say that in general, his profile begrudgingly does look pretty good. It's trending in the right direction. Well, they've said that he's made a change, so we have been looking a lot at last year's data. Yeah. As a full-time starter to have under five home runs predicted for the year, I mean, that's pretty good. That's still pretty crazy. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm just trying to say that his otherworldly numbers might not be real, but he's still, the underlying numbers and the underlying batted ball data still really say that, you know, he's he's legit. All right, I said it. You That's happy? Good. Yep. That I, you know, I'm kind of happy. Let me burst your bubble here a little bit. Uh, your boy, oh boy. You, you own now Brad Peacock. Depending on him a little too much. You are you are depending on him. Uh, I mean, he's by virtue of not having pitched a ton yet. He's only supposed to have given up three home runs, but. He's gotten a little lucky. He's only given up one so far. Yeah. And honestly, that 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 almost that almost could have been zero. So his based on the the batted ball profile of that home run, he's he's getting a little lucky. I I hate to say it, but you might you might have cause for concern in the near future, bud. Oh no, I I am I am concerned and I am ready to drop him. 
at a moment's notice, and he uh, he did not play very well against you. <laughs> no, no, he uh, he did not. But I don't know. I mean, this profile is interesting too. He, um, you know, I, I've got side by side Brad Peacock versus James Paxton here. Um, Brad Peacock's clearly keeping the ball down. He's clearly trying to pitch to to line drives and grounders. And that's good. And that's what he needed to do a couple of years ago when he couldn't make it in the majors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's right. So as long as that keeps as long as that keeps happening for him, that'll be good. But he he's got to watch out. He could be due to get bit by the the regression monster on the long ball. I have one one last one here. Oh boy, he comes back. I I need some I need some help here. And and you know I. I don't have any fantasy stake in this pitcher, but I have a whole lot of real Minnesotan raw emotion about Irvin Santana. Yeah. yeah now, yeah. here's what's crazy about his, is that he is one of the only pitchers that is on the opposite side, where his expected number of home runs, he should have given up somewhere between 7 and 8, and he's given up 11 this year. But he's still got great numbers, yeah, well, I mean, I think part of it is that, geez, I mean, he's expected is is between seven and eight. He's given up eleven. I mean, I've seen a bunch of those, and those are mostly solo shots, right? I mean, because mm-hmm. he, because what's weird about Irvin Santana's number is that he's got an amazing strand rate. So, the, I think the home run numbers will end up equalizing, and it won't have as much of a won't move the needles nearly as much as other numbers would. But, I mean, this is what this is saying right here is that he could still regress to the mean and, and continue to overperform. Yeah, I there's something there's something else there. I you know, it seems to me like with Irvin Santana that that home runs are not telling a consistent story with his ERA and whip, so it's nice to hear some of the first hand scouting report, but I don't know. We we got a lot riding on Big Irv. Yeah, we do. Big Irv. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let me let me give you a couple of takeaways here. Um, I mean, takeaway number one, of course, home runs are bad, but they're they're not the end of the story. Um, this is this is really a good a good raw model. It's easy to implement. I mean, it just takes a couple lines of analysis to put together here, and just some two dimensional integration. But we can do that. We know how to do that. Yeah. So this model appears to work. I think that uh, we're, you know, we just talked through a bunch of case studies and I didn't, I didn't really cherry pick those. I think they all exemplify some category that I was trying to say. As long as we can explain whatever's going on with Irvin Santana, I think that we're inching towards a complete model. And with that complete model, something that we can use to try and just really quickly say if a guy is... Um, giving up too many home runs or if he's going to regress to the mean, if we should start to watch out for those ERA numbers based on that. Yeah, I mean, I see some really good things from this. This will be really useful in identifying some of those players up and down. Yeah, I feel like I'm going to have to use it here in the next couple of weeks. All right, buddy, you want to wrap this sucker up? Yeah, let's let's make some wild predictions. You know, we're recording this during the NBA Finals game, so... Uh, uh Cavs win it's amazing we're going to game six I would say so from uh we had a little check-in on the score it feels like five seconds ago and I was surprised that Cleveland was ahead 
Wow, has that changed fast. Oh, no. Hold on a second. Oh, whoa! Wow, that is... Uh... Okay, oh, well, here, I'm seeing 22-2 to two run. Okay, that... Whew, that did change quick. All right, let me let me let me start over. <clears throat> well, the Warriors have won the NBA championship. Yeah, <laughs> I, I sent you that article early in the week uh, <laughs> when we were sort of predicting a sweep uh, last podcast. I sent the article about the estimated uh, loss that the Warriors would have by sweeping. I mean, the the numbers are pretty astounding. Oh, they're staggering. Yeah, I mean, I think. They wanted to get game five. I don't know. They definitely don't need game seven. <laughs> I know. And that's what I was saying, too. Like, they wanted to win game five. And I think that oftentimes we say in these kind of series, like, oh, well, they just wanted to win it on home court. And I do wonder sometimes, do you want it to win it on home court because you want to celebrate with your fans or because you want them to pay you to see you win the final game like if they were really good they could they could make that choice right i don't think that the warriors blew it on purpose but you know just one little extra added factor in there in the back of your mind could distract you enough well we what we need to look at is whether any of the refs for game four are also game five refs who get played who get paid (laughs) by the game oh boy i'm not gonna go that direction (laughs) no 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 you're right it was definitely rigged both ways, just confusingly in Game Four. Yeah, I, I think the uh, ghost of David Stern might be after us if we, <laughs> if we say anything more conclusive than that. Well, I have to say that you know the finals are marginally better than the first few rounds, but still not riveting basketball in the playoffs this year. Really, it's the intrigue and the storyline. It's not about the basketball. All right. Well, I think that brings us to the review session. Let's talk about an actual restaurant here, Local Burger in NoHo. That's right. We did we did a you know a live review session over lunch on Friday. Yeah, we had an impromptu lunch, um, and I don't know. What do you think about that restaurant with it with it um, not under the influence of alcohol? <laughs> with you not being under the influence of alcohol. How was it? Yeah, you know, <laughs> I think I, I appreciated different things, maybe, you know, normally just trying to get it in my stomach to mop up any of the alcohol that might be sloshing around down there from one of my favorite bars across the street. But, uh, you know, light a day, they they open the windows, we got some nice fresh air. I had a good time. I love it. What'd you think? I thought it was pretty good. You know, I like, um, I think that the, the kind of the local vor um, turn mm. is one that I can really get behind. So I'm, I'm always uh, uh, going to push for local beef, local turkey, local produce, etc. If, if you can, if you can do that, I don't know entire that those tomatoes didn't look like they were um, made in Massachusetts, <laughs> but whatever, you know, I'll, I'll allow that. Oh come on, hot house is a thing. You got to drive around. There's greenhouses. There. <laughs> There, I'm just saying they could be from right over the uh, the border in Connecticut. <laughs> it seems like a very hot house. Seems like a very Connecticut move. We'll say very very greasy, and I am getting more and more into my life to a place where I do not like greasy burgers. Oh, like oh, like come ones. On. No, like seriously, the ones that make your bun just disintegrate with that much grease, not. Not for it anymore. I'm I'm still for that. I've I've not grown out of that phase. 
All right, well, our first real actual uh, review of, of a restaurant, uh, post that to Yelp. <laughs> Time for a little housekeeping. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter, Fantasy Tools, Mind the Z. Thank you, Mild Manor, for letting us use your tunes. Be sure to follow them on SoundCloud and Facebook. Feel free to email us with questions or comments. Send us messages at fantasy.tools at gmail.com. Again, mind the Z. All I've got left is, worst of luck to you, buddy. Worst of luck to you, too.